of, of chapter 2 before we get into the fall of man, there's this really interesting thing here where it says that they were naked and they knew no shame. Everyone say knew no shame. They knew no shame. See, we're about to go into the stage where sin comes into the world. Of, of all the things that God could have made possible for mankind after he had created them in his image, woman, man and woman he created in his image, the Bible says, is that they would know no shame. That was his point, that they knew no shame, that they were naked and they knew no shame, that shame wasn't a thing that we would be burdened with. God didn't want us to have shame in our world. It's interesting that God chose shame because it could have said, and they knew no rejection or they knew no suffering or they knew no abandonment or they knew no something else. Of all the things that God could have said that man was never to know anything of after he created them, the one thing that he said is that, that they knew no shame, that shame would not be a burden for him, that shame would not be a, a, a burden on people's lives, that he had created us in his image so that we would know no shame. And so as the enemy comes into the garden, if you are the enemy of Adam and Eve, if you're the enemy of you and I, if you are the enemy of what Christ has created, in the image of Christ we are created, in the image of God we created, if you want to bring that person down, the enemy understands the thing that will bring them down will be shame because God never created you and I to be burdened with shame. And so his strategy is to, is to undermine God's authority. It's to undermine the word of God by saying, did God really say? His strategy is to come in and question what God is saying because he knows that if he can get you to do what you shouldn't do, if he can get you to sin, then shame comes upon you. And then when shame comes upon you, you become ineffective. You see, you can be a Christian, but be ineffective. You can have asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, but if you're walking around with shame, you become ineffective because you're too scared to share your story with those around you that need to hear it. And so what we have to understand is that if the enemy can't get you out of salvation, what he wants to rob from you is your fruitfulness. Because the Bible talks about that once we are saved, that we become fruitful and we bear much fruit. Yes? He wants your fruitfulness. If he can't get you unsaved, he wants your fruitfulness. And so he wants to untangle your life. And, he, and the way that he does that is his very first question, did God really stay? He starts to question. He starts to undermine what it is that God had said to you. You know, did God really say we have this in our world today, don't we? Did God really say that Jesus is the only way to God? Did God really say that? I mean, the culture is so different today. Back then, they didn't have the internet. So how was Jesus to know that the internet would come along? And on the internet, we have a whole lot of people that have a whole lot of opinions, a whole lot of ideas about what God really did say and what God didn't really say. But did God really say today is as much a fundamental question for our society as it was back in Adam and Eve because we understand that, that did God really say is a fundamental question and that if you don't get it answered right, your whole life will begin to unravel in so many ways. If, if you don't understand what he has said, 
then your life starts to unravel. And we see that in society today, don't we? They don't know what God has said. And so we look around today in, this, in the different spheres of our society, be it political, be it moral, be it socially, be it environmentally, be it economically. We see just chaos in every sphere of society because it's starting to unravel because people don't know what God really said. They don't know what he said. They don't know that he said that he created man and woman in his likeness. We're not genderless. He gave us a gender. But society is so confused because they don't know what God said that we've got all this binary, fluidity. No, no, no. What God said was man and woman. He gave you identity. What the world is trying to do is strip you of identity. Because when you don't know whose image you're created in, then you don't know how to behave. You see, if you grew up in my house of my parents, you knew how to behave as, as one of their children because they let you know, you're, you're my kid, I created you, I brought you into this world and I can take you out. And so you'll do as, you know, and it's not that God is like that with us, but God has created us in his image and his likeness. He created us to be like him. But if you don't know what he has said, then you don't know how to be. If you don't know who you are and whose, and whose image you created and what you're on earth for, you'll spend your whole life chasing the wrong thing. When you don't know what you're created for or in whose image you are in, then you'll end up chasing all the wrong things. And when we start chasing all the wrong things, what happens is we start feeling like we're not good enough because nothing satisfies us. The career's not just doing it for me. This relationship's not working for me. Nothing, nothing's satisfying. I, I feel like I don't measure up. And, and everything in society echoes that measure. You're not good enough. You're not, you're, not, you're not pretty enough. You're not handsome. You don't wear the right clothes. You don't do the right thing. You, don't, you know, it's so funny that we live in a world that, that behaves like we're all individualistic. But the minute my son bleaches his hair and goes to school, everyone mocks him for being different. Why? Because they talk about individualism, but it's not that at all. They want everyone to fit in and be all the same. They don't like it when someone stands out. But if you're created in God's image, you're created to stand out. God doesn't fit in, God stands out. Are you with me this morning? And so the world will try to make you fit in when God has called you to stand out and everything in society does that and so the problem is if you don't know who you are and whose image you're created in then you'll constantly be trying to find your significance your security your value and your esteem from other people and other things that were never created to satisfy you that's why wealthy wealthy people with all the nice cars and all the nice houses and the, and, the, and the Aston Martin and, and the 80-meter and the boat that they only sleep on twice a year that travels around the world, costing them $3 million a year to run, that's why they still commit suicide. That's why their marriages still fall apart, because they're trying to find their significance in things or in people, but your significance is found in whose image you were created in, not in what you have and not in who you're married to but in whose image you're created in. 
And so your self-esteem and other things, and, and, and it will never satisfy you because it's, you can't find satisfaction in things. You find satisfaction in your creator. And so the inevitable consequence of trying to do all this stuff to have some sort of significance is you end up doing some things that you really shouldn't do, and the consequence of it all is you end up full of shame. Full of shame. I'm not going to ask anybody this morning, but I know there's plenty of you here that your life before Christ you don't want to talk about because it's full of shame. Trying to find love in all the wrong places in the arms of many women or many men instead of trying to find love in the right place, which is in the arms of Jesus. It brings shame onto our lives. And God created us in his image to know no shame. The enemy comes to bring shame constantly. He does everything he can to weigh you down with shame. You see, the word abuse in its, in its original context of meaning means this. It means, an object, it means to use an object for a purpose for which it was never designed. The word abuse means to use something for a purpose that it was never designed for. And all of us, in some way, all of us, including me, every single person within the sound of my voice, in some way, shape or form, by this world we have been used for a purpose for which God never designed us to be used for. Some of you have been sexually abused at a young age by family members, used in a way that you were never designed to be used by. Some of you, because of the pain of your past, have got into drugs and alcohol and in, in being used in a way that God never designed you to be used for. And it brings shame onto us. And it's not your fault. You've got to understand this. It's not your fault necessarily. It's the enemy understands that you weren't created to be burdened with shame. That you weren't created to walk with shame. So if he wants to destroy you, he knows he's got to get shame on you. Because if he can get shame on you, he can make you ineffective. It can make you ineffective. You know, I, I realize that sometimes when I feel that shame comes into my soul, I know when it's coming in because I start to feel like there's something wrong with me. Like I'm not good enough or I'm not smart enough or I don't know enough theology. I don't know the Bible well enough. And, and all this stuff starts coming up on the inside of me and I know that shame starting to come upon me and and I've, I've learned this, that if I'm not constantly in the Word of God, if I'm not constantly renewing my mind according to the Word of God, then friend, I'm only ever one thought away. One thought away from thinking there's something wrong with me. Remember the Bible says take every thought captive. You're only one thought away. All he's got to do is get one thought of shame to come into your world and for you to buy into that for him to shut you down. We constantly got to be in His Word. We constantly got to be renewing our minds. Why? Because if we don't, if we don't do that, our our default, if we don't arrest it, is that, is that our default goes. There's something wrong with us. There's something wrong with me. It's a default mode when we don't arrest it. But here's the cool thing: Jesus and only Jesus can fix it. Because you and I were created for God by God, for relationship with God, and it's Jesus that connects us 
to God, and it's Jesus that connects us to the grace of God. And I got good news for you today that you didn't come from nothing. You weren't some slime that came up onto the beach and somehow turned into a monkey and then an ape who went down the road and went to the barber and got all his hair shaved off and walked out a man. You didn't come from nothing. It takes more faith to believe in evolution than to believe that our master created, created all of this. You didn't come from nothing, but the world keeps on telling you you're just a snot that came up onto the beach. You came from nothing, and when you keep on telling people that they've come from nothing, guess what? They'll start to behave like they've come from nothing. They'll start to believe they're nothing. They'll start to believe that they're not of value. They'll start to believe that God doesn't love them. They'll start to believe what society says about them. They'll start to believe what the parents said or the teachers said or the uncle said or the mean kid next door said instead of believing what God said which is you created in my image in my image I created the man and woman and if you're in the image of the almighty God you have great significance just because you're created by him you see a, a, a painting has value because of the signature of the painter, and you have value because of the signature of the creator. You are created in the image of Almighty God. You are filled with a God-given destiny. You're filled with a God-given purpose. You're not a nobody. You're a somebody, but the enemy always comes and says, did God really say? Did God, you know, it's so important that we understand what it is that God says. Because if you go on social media today, and you've gone to the 24-7 news cycles today, I, I think, I, I personally come to this belief that all news agencies should be just shut down. Because none of them tell you the truth. We were better, we're better off without them. Don't eat white bread, it causes cancer. Eat brown bread. Don't eat brown bread, it causes cancer. Eat white bread. It's like, you know, don't eat carrots. Don't eat, it's like, they don't even know what they're talking about. They're just making up stuff as they go along. 24-7 cycles are most, our problem for most of us, can I say this to you? Because of social media, because of the 24-7 news cycles, because of all that sort of stuff that most of us have got an opinion about what everybody else is saying. Instead of having an opinion about what has God said. Oh, you, you don't understand. All the, all the scientists are saying that the, that, the, that the world is heating up and we've got global warming and, 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 and everything's melting and, and we're going to drown. And da, 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 da. Well, those same scientists that say that we've got global warming a wee while ago, yeah, no, they don't call it global warming anymore, do they? They call it climate change. Because when they were talking about global warming, NASA released a report that said that the Earth was cooler than it had been in 100 years. So now it's climate change. So now they tell you that Antarctica ice cap is melting, but what they don't tell you is that the Arctic ice cap is increasing. Hello, are you with me this morning? Well, you know what God says? God says that the Earth moans and groans. That the Earth suffers under sin. That's why we have earthquakes. That's why we have volcanoes. That's why I have this stuff, because it's suffering under the sin of the world, waiting for the sons and daughters of God to arise. That's what God says. God says that things will get worse before they get better. We've got people running around trying to pray to stop the bad things from happening, but the Bible says that it gets worse before it gets better. 
What, what does Jesus say? Not, not what does the politician say? Not what does the news anchor say, who actually has no expertise in any area whatsoever that they're talking about, highly opinionated. Come on, are you with me this morning? And so I, I know because I hear people say things, oh, this is, this is what they're saying in the news and, and this is what I read in an article and, and this is what, and it's like, yeah, I, I know that's what the world's saying, but, but what did God say? What did God say? Do you know what God is really saying? Because you know what, friend? I feel this morning for you and for I and for the church worldwide, it's actually time to turn down the voice of the world and start to turn up the voice of God. It's time to turn down the voice of the world and start to turn up the voice of God. And that means you and I starting to speak up about what God says because the world needs to know what God has said. It needs to know what God has said. It needs to know that God said that he created them in his image, that he knew them before they were formed in their mother's womb, that he planned a life for them. They need to know that he is there to give them a hope and a future. They don't need to know what God is against. They need to know what God is for. The world needs to know we're going to turn down the volume of the world in our own lives and turn up the voice of God. It's what God is saying. Now, what's society saying? What is God saying? You know, the New York Times wrote an article calling us the shaming culture, the generation of shaming culture. And you know what? I agree with them. You just have to go on social media for 10 seconds to understand that that's true. You just have to make a comment on a news article before you start getting called all sorts of names under the sun. Everyone calling everybody out. Everyone shaming everybody. Everyone, you know, like I, I was looking at one, one feed and there's a news thing and someone made a comment and, and, and I thought it was a reasonable comment but then someone must have gone on social media and stalked them and, and next minute they're saying nothing about the article but now it's like, what would you know? You're fat and you're this and you're... What is that? What the heck has this world come to? That we can't have a discussion about something without making it personal, without labeling people, without, that's not God, that's not what God does. We, we live in this world where, where and, and I get it, sometimes at home, we roast each other as well. You understand what I mean by roast each other? Okay, cool. Trinity roasted Seth really bad the other day. Jesus has forgiven her. Because I don't do that. Ah. Uh, much but you know what I mean it's like it's like we live in a world where that hey I just roasted that person and shamed them Woo-hoo! it's like a badge that we wear but Jesus said that we were we were created God says I actually created you not to know what shame is I don't want you to know what shame is but we live in a world that just constantly is about shaming you see, God actually set up a method in the Bible on how to address conflict and how to talk to one another and, and how to honor one another and how to cover one another. But it's like we've forgotten all of that. We've forgotten how to address conflict and we just name call people. We've forgotten that, that because somebody 
to treat someone with honor means to treat them with value. And if they're created in God's image, then they're of value. We, we've forgotten that. I'll be saying he's a, he's a dickhead. No, he's created in the image of God. He might be a little messed up in his thinking. And he might need a little bit of correcting. But he's still of value. Because God created him. See, the enemy constantly says to God, say, and, and Eve turns around and says, well, you know, she didn't say what God didn't say. She actually turned around and said, yeah, this is what God did say. God said that we shouldn't eat of the tree or we're going to die. And the enemy goes, you're not going to die. You're going to be like him. You're going to be like God. In other words, the enemy is saying, God's holding out on you. God's trying to rip you off. God's trying to give you a substandard life. God's trying to rip you off. You, you, you can do, you, you don't have to do what God said. You can do what he, you can go ahead and do it, even though he said not to do it. You'll be all right. You won't die. You can go to the nightclub and snort drugs. You won't die. You can go and sleep around with whoever you want and you won't die. You can go and gossip and slander. You won't die. God just wants to rip you off. He just wants you to miss out of, of the fun of waking up in your own vomit. That's really what he's saying to us. The enemy is constantly undermining the character of God. And he's basically saying, God's not good. God doesn't have good plans for you. He's just trying to, he's holding out on you. He's holding out on you. There's not a person in this place that before they found Jesus, that doesn't regret some of the things that they did, that they wish they knew Jesus earlier so that they didn't go through the shame of multiple relationships, so they didn't go through the shame of drugs and they didn't have that thing on their lives. It's not that God's trying to rip you off. God's trying to save you. God's trying to help you have a distinguished life, to have a life of, of quality, to have a life of dignity. And the enemy takes what, what God tries to use for dignity and he distorts it so that it becomes our shame. And says, God's trying to hold out on you. That God's not a good God. That God doesn't do good. You can't trust him. It's what he says all the time. Did he really say? And you see, the issue, the issue that's on the table here in this question, did God really say? The issue here that's here, right, what we've got to get our heads around is that is a question that questions the character of God. It is a question that questions, will you trust God's character? And in Eve and Adam's case, they didn't. They didn't trust his character. She ultimately didn't trust that God was good and that God does good. But we know in John 10, 10, don't we? We know what the Bible says, that the enemy comes to what? Kill, steal, and destroy. What does God come to do? I love how it puts it here at the Passion Translation. The thief only has one thing in mind. He wants to steal, slaughter, and destroy. But I've come to give you everything in abundance, everything in abundance, more than you can expect, life in its fullness until you overflow. So when he says, did God really say... You see, because the problem is he's questioning God's character. He's questioning whether God really is the God that gives you life and overflow. But it's the enemy that kills and steals and destroys. And if he can't get your soul, then he wants your fruitfulness. You see, it's not an issue of salvation. It's an issue of fruitfulness. Can you go and do 
all the things that you feel like doing? Sure you can. Go knock yourself out. Go nightclubbing. Do all the stuff that God says that you shouldn't do. But you won't be fruitful. You won't be fruitful. It's very rarely a salvation issue when the enemy comes to tempt us. It's always a fruitfulness issue. Why? Because fruitfulness comes from obedience. Obedience is not about uh, a God who, who's, who's strict and, and mean. It's not an, uh, obedience is not legalism or religion. Obedience is fruitfulness. That as I obey him and what he says to do, my life becomes fruitful. If you walk this way and you do this in my Life becomes fruitful. Give the first fruits of the offering and God will overflow your barns with wheat. It's, it's, he's talking about when you obey, fruitfulness comes. And so the enemy comes and he says, did God really say, questions God's character, because sometimes God asks us to do things that we don't understand. It doesn't make sense to us. And so instead of us trusting him, the enemy comes and says, you're not going to die. You're not going to die. You may not die physically, but fruitfulness spiritually will die. There won't be fruitfulness to your world. You won't be able to say that he's given me everything in abundance, more than I could expect, and life in its fullness I'm overflowing. Why? Because obedience leads to fruitfulness. And he constantly says, did God really say? Did God really say? She knew what God said, but she did what God said not to do. Man, I've done that plenty of times in my life, and I know there are plenty of people here that have done that too. But now I understand something. It's not about, it's, it's not about my character. He's questioning God's character. And when I understand that, it's like, how dare you question my God's character? My God is good. I hate the saying, but I'm going to say it anyway. God is good. All the time, all the time, God is good. And the reason why I hated that is because when I went through Bible college, he used to say that 50,000 times a day. You see, we can come and sit in church every single week. We can do Bible studies. We can listen to podcasts. But if you're not going to do anything with it, it's pointless. Because faith without works is dead. It will be of no effect if you don't do something with it. And the problem is, is that there are so many Christians with an ineffective faith that doesn't work because they're not putting their faith into the work of obedience. You've got to put your faith into the work of obedience because obedience will lead to a flourishing life. God is not trying to restrict you God is trying to launch you into your destiny and into your purposes. He is the real deal. And here's the problem. Eve had forgotten that she was already like God. He said, eat of the tree and you'll be like God. No, no, no. I'm already like God. I'm created in his image. In his image he created me, male and female. I'm already like God. I'm already created in the image of him. But see, here's the problem. When you forget who you are or whose son you are or whose daughter you are and whose image you're created, you'll end up doing things contrary to God to become like you already are. She took the fruit to become like what she already was. If you eat of this fruit, you'll become like God. Oh, okay. 
okay, then I'll eat of this fruit. No, no, you're already like God. You're already created in his image. But when you don't understand that, if you don't understand that you're created in the image of God, then you'll do the, the very thing that you're not meant to do to try to be like him. Are you with me this morning? The enemy will say to you, if you do this, you'll be more like God. If you do that, you'll be more like God. No, no, you're already like him. You're already created in the image of him. He's done it for you. But when you know who you are, when you know who you already are, then you can stand up to the enemy and say, excuse me, I am already in his likeness. I'm already a son and daughter of the Most High. I'm already part of the family of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I'm already um, made in his image. I'm already like him. And so I don't need to do what you're suggesting. I just got to obey his word. And when I obey his word, then fruitfulness comes in my life. And I understand that through obedience, I become more and more and more like him. I mean, I'm already like him, but when I start to obey him, I become more like him. And so the key to me becoming more and more like God is not for me to do what you've said, but to do what he said, because he takes me from glory to glory and strength to strength. And he takes me on the pathway of sanctification so that I become more like him. You see, my way to be more like him is not your way, but it's his way. It's through obedience, it's through following. And, but the problem was is that they ate of it and they realized that they were naked. They realized that they were naked. You see, the diff there's a difference between shame and guilt. Guilt says, I did something wrong. Guilt says, I did something wrong. And when I know I've done something wrong, that, that should cause me to run to God for forgiveness. Because the Bible says that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So when, when I feel guilt because I've done something wrong, I run to Jesus. I don't run from him, I run to him so that he can set me free. Yes? But what shame says, see what guilt says is I did something wrong, but what shame, shame says is that you are wrong. Guilt says I've done something wrong, shame says you're wrong. There's something wrong with you. You're wrong. And when we feel like we're wrong, that makes us run from God, not to Him. You see, there's a difference between your who and your do. What you did is not who you are. The mistakes you have made does not define who you are as a person. They're just things that you've done. I know in my life that I love the fact that we have this great gift that we can just go and pour out our heart to God and ask him for forgiveness, and that he's faithful, that he will forgive us every single time. And the Bible says that he cleanses me from all unrighteousness. There's no better feeling, there's no better feeling of freedom and cleansing. The gospel message is to live free and shame-free every day. It's so liberating and it's so life-giving to understand that I'm created in his image and I, I don't need to do, I don't need to work for it. I already have it. And if I just follow him in obedience, I'll become more like him and the fruitfulness follows. There's nothing better than being able to, when I make a mistake, than being able to go to God and go, forgive me. But shame stops you from going to God because shame says there's something wrong with you. Friend, there's nothing wrong with you. You're created in his image. You made a mistake. You did something wrong. What you did is not who you are. Are you with me this morning? 
You see, the first scripture and in, in first question in scripture was the devil asking Eve, did God really say? But I think it's really, really interesting that the first question that God asked in scripture was, where are you? He comes walking in the cool of the day like he always had done with Adam and Eve. Walked with them and talked with them and had relationship with them. But when they heard him coming, they hid. And the first question that God asks is, where are you? Where are you? I still think God is asking that question of humanity today is, where are you? Where did you go? Where did you disappear to? When God asks where you are, it's not because he doesn't know where you are. He knows everything. He knows where you are. He's just being nice. He knows where you are. But here's the thing. What happens is when we do stuff wrong, we normally run from the presence of God. You think that what you've done is unforgivable. You think you've just messed up so much that you've just stuffed up way too big this time. And so you go and hide. And you hide from God. And God spends his whole time going, where are you? Where are you? Where are you? When we mess up or something has happened to us, this is not the time to hide from God. This is the time to run to God. Not from God, but the enemy will try and make you run from God every time by saying that there's something wrong with you. When all you've really done is something wrong. You're not wrong. You did something wrong. And when you repent, God takes it away from you. The Bible says this, that the righteous run into the tower and are saved. The righteous run to God and are saved. The enemy will constantly try and make you run from him because of shame, because he wants to make you feel like you're not worthy. The first question God asks is, is, where are you? And then the first conversation between man and God in Scripture is really interesting because Adam's response to God's question of where are you is, I was naked and afraid, so I hid. I was naked and afraid, so I hid. I was naked and afraid, so I hid. Let me, you may have heard me preach this before, but I'm going to put this in here and then mention something else in a minute. But because they saw themselves as naked, they now had a feeling of fear which caused them to behave a particular way. <laughs> you see, when you don't understand that you're created in the image of God, you will see yourself the wrong way which will cause you to have the wrong feelings which will cause you to behave in the wrong actions. Uh, uh, God doesn't love me because, because of this and so the feeling I have is that I'm useless and dumb and stupid and, and why would God ever love me because I just stuff up all the time so rather than run to him for salvation I might as well just be that person because how you see yourself will create emotions in you that will dictate your actions that's why God's plan was for you and I to know no shame because when you know shame, shame dictates your actions. Shame makes you run from God rather than to God. And for so many people in our world, that's exactly the conversation that you and I have. I've had that conversation with God where, where I'm full of fear because of something that I've done. Instead of running to Him, 
I hide from him. Have you tried doing that? Have you ever tried doing that? I tried to hide from God in, in all sorts of different ways. Try to hide from him by binging in TV programs so I don't have to think about what's going on in my world. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Okay. Some of us try to hide ourselves in alcohol. Some of us try to hide ourselves in drugs. Some of us try to hide ourselves in different relationships. Trying to hide ourselves, but he's still asking, where are you? You see, some of you just turned up to church today, took everything out of you just to get here. Just to get here, took everything out of you. You're here, and your body's here. But if you're honest with yourself, in your heart, you're hiding from God. You've pulled back. Here's the thing, I believe today by the grace of God, you're going to know the love and forgiveness and the mercy of God. Because between the enemy and God, there are three questions in this story. The first one is, did God really say? Did God really say? He'll constantly question God's character. The next one is, where are you? Some of you are hiding from God in plain sight. But then I think there's a third question here, which I think is the saddest question in all of the Bible. Just focus in here for a moment, people. It's the saddest question that I think God could ever ask Adam or ever ask you and I. It's the saddest thing when, he, when you understand that you created in His image, in His image He made us. Man and woman, He made us in His image. He never held anything back. He didn't decide he would half make us, quarter make us. He made us purely in his image. He gave us his all. He wanted us to reflect everything about him, all of his goodness, all of his greatness, all of his might. He never held not one thing back from us. And the saddest question that I believe that he asked, and I, and I, and I believe that he asked this, just knowing the heart of God and feeling the heart of God for you and for me this morning, I guarantee you tears were running down his cheek when he said this. Who told you you were naked? Who told you you were naked? At what point did you believe the lie? At one point did you elevate somebody else's voice above my voice in your life? At what stage did you believe what your friends said about you rather than your creator said about you? At what stage did you believe what your teacher said about you rather than your daddy God said about you who sent his son to die on the cross for you because he loved you so much? At what stage did you believe what society says about you rather than what I've said about you? Who told you you were useless? Who told you that you were too dumb? Who told you that you're too stupid? That you won't amount to anything? That you'll always be addiction in your family? That there'll always be divorce in your family? That there'll always be alcoholism in your family? That there'll always be drugs in your family? That there'll always be abuse in your family? Who told you? Where did you believe the lie? Who told you? Because so many of us are living beneath far beneath what God has for us because we've elevated the voice of the world and the voice of social media and the voice of our teachers and the voice of our parents and the voice of the uncle instead of elevating the voice of God in our lives and we've believed things that just aren't of God. 
Because they've said you're this, and so you've seen yourself this way. And it's caused you to feel that way. And then you've done an action that way. And God is saying, hey, 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 I never created you to have shame. I created you in my image. You are, you are not a nobody. You are not a nothing. You are, you are a daughter of God. You're a son of God. You are sitting at the right hand of him. He is the king of kings, and he is the Lord of lords. At what point in your life did you believe the lie that crippled you, that paralyzed you, and kept you so far beneath the will of what God has for you? Who told you? Who told you? You know, if anybody ever said anything about my daughter, I mean, I mean I've always said about my beautiful daughter, that you're beautiful, you're amazing, you're fantastic, you're beautiful, you're amazing, you're fantastic. There's not a parent in this room that if your kid came home from school one day and was upset, and when you ask them why they're upset, is everyone says that I'm a loser and that I'm hopeless. There's not a parent in this room that wouldn't want to go up to that school, even though it's illegal, and bash the snot out of every single kid that said that over your kid. It's not a parent in this room. And you know what? When your God hears that the enemy has told you that you're dumb, that the enemy has told you that you're useless, the enemy has told you you should be ashamed of your life, that you should be ashamed of this and ashamed of that, he, he turns around, who told you that? Because I'm going to go find him and I'm going to hunt him down and I'm going to smack his head in for you. Who told you? I'm telling you because the most important thing you can know in this day, in this age, in which we live, it's not what social media says. It's not what your friend says, but it's what your God says. Your daddy God, your Abba Father, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. He says things like you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. He says that I am called. He says that I'm chosen. He says that I'm redeemed. He says that I'm loved. He says that I'm a child created by God in His image. My daddy says there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. My daddy says that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's what my daddy says about you. That's what your daddy says about you. So who told you that you're nothing? When did you start to believe the lie? The greatest thing you'll ever know on this side of eternity is who you are in Him and what He says about you and to you. The greatest thing you'll ever know on this side of eternity is who He says you are. It's who He says you are. Who you are. It's three questions in this thing. Did God really say and then there's God saying, where are you, friend? I believe God is saying this morning to some of you, where are you? I'm not angry with you. I'm not upset with you. I just want relationship with you again. And then as you come to him, like Adam did, and said, here I am, then the next question from his lips is going to be, who told you? Who told you? Because I'm going to fix that. I'm going to sort that out. I'm going to change that. There's so many voices shouting at us today, telling us who we are not, reminding us of our failures, reminding us of our flaws. But you know what? I thank God. I thank God that you have given us your word, that your word is full of life, and that your word is full of hope. And I thank you. I thank God that we are sons. Come on, friend. That we are daughters. 
of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and where the enemy has declared shame on you, on a person, uh, if any person in this room, I felt this this morning, where the enemy has declared shame on you, if you are listening to my voice, I've come to declare, to decree, to prophesy today in the name of Jesus, shame off you. Not shame on you, but shame off you because he created you to know no shame. And it's time that we've decided we're not gonna believe what the enemy has said, that we're not gonna believe what people have said, that we're not gonna believe the voice of society, but we're actually gonna shut down the voice of the world and I'm gonna start to believe the things that my God says about me, that there's a hope and a future for me, that my dad says that I am the head and not the tail, that I am the above and not the beneath that I am seated at the right hand of God, that all of Him is my inheritance, all of His power, all of His love, all of His goodness, all of His mercy, all of His grace is mine to have. I don't have to walk around with my head down. I don't have to walk around with any shame because I can run to the tower and be saved. He will never turn me away. He will never deny me. He will never not forgive me, but He will forgive me because He is faithful and just to forgive me of all my sin and I can walk through life with no shame knowing that my God is for me, that I'm created in His image. And it doesn't matter what people have said or what the world says or what the enemy says. I don't have to try to be like Him. I already am like Him. And when I walk in obedience to Him, fruitfulness, fruitfulness is just what happens. It's a byproduct of walking in obedience, understanding that I am already who He called me to be. I'm already created in His image. And shame will not stop me. When you stand to your feet this morning, I really feel it strongly. I know I've gone a little bit long, but I really feel this this morning in my spirit. There's too much shame in this room. There's too much shame in this room. There's a woman at a well. She came at lunchtime to get water. The reason why she came at lunchtime to get water is because she was ashamed of herself because she had already had five husbands and the one that she was with now was not her husband. So rather than coming in the cool of the day like all the other women to get water from the well, she'd come at midday, the hottest time, when nobody else would be there because she was too ashamed to be around everybody else. But Jesus met her, the seventh man in her life, met her at the well on purpose, transformed her, changed her, got the shame off her, delivered her, brought salvation to her. And then she walked into the very town that she is ashamed of being saying, hey, come here a man that told me everything about me all my shame, all the stuff that I was ashamed of, he told me all about it. I want you to come and hear from the same man that just exposed all of my flaws, all of my failings, all of my faults, and a whole entire town come out, a whole entire town, four, five hundred people come out and give their lives to Christ. Why? Because shame came off her. And then her story brought fruitfulness 
in a way that added numbers to the kingdom of heaven that wouldn't happen any other way. Friend, you were not designed for shame. You were designed for the blood of Jesus Christ and for the testimony of his goodness and his greatness in your life. And when that is your leading thing, friend, it doesn't matter what has happened. God can turn it for good because he's a good God and he has good plans for you. But you've got to get the shame off you. The shame will cause you to run. Grace will cause you to run to him. Shame will cause you to run from him. So I've got every eye closed in this place right now.